Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio recording that follows was recorded during S.N. Goenka's tour of North America in 2002, known as the Meditation Now Tour. This podcast will be updated monthly, with additional archives from S.N. Goenka's talks and questions and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by S.N. Goenka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati, a nonprofit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance for the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is www.pariyati.org. For more information on Vipassana meditation as taught by S. Goenka, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org. Friends, we are all assembled here this evening to understand what is Vipassana and how can it help us in our day-to-day life and how it is relevant in today's times. Vipassana is the teaching of the enlightened one. Every enlightened person becomes enlightened by discovering this technique which gets lost and make use of this technique to enlighten oneself, to liberate oneself. And then out of infinite love and compassion, the enlightened one keeps on distributing it to one and all, to help people to come out of their misery, to come out of bondage. So it was 26 centuries back, this very ancient technique practiced and preached by all the previous Buddhas was lost and Gautama the Buddha before he became Buddha he tried many techniques not satisfied so he started discovering the truth himself and discovered this wonderful technique of Vipassana Vipassana is the quintessence of the teaching of the enlightened one. It starts with shila, that is morality, to abstain from all sorts of unwholesome actions, vocal or physical, which will hurt other beings, which will harm other beings, which will disturb the peace and harmony of the society, human society. That is the the base. And then one has to train to make the mind not only just concentrated, but to make the mind very sharp, very sensitive, and switch over to practice Vipassana, which takes you to the depth of the mind 
the root of the mind where defilements arise where they keep on multiplying multiplying where they remain stored and although one practices to purify the mind at the surface level one tries to calm the mind tranquil the mind at the surface level at the root level the habit pattern of generating impurity continues continues and although the surface of the mind is pure free from defilements peaceful but time and again there's a volcanic eruption from the root level and everything is lost again the mind becomes very disturbed so enlightened person wants us to work at the root level of the mind for me it was quite new because i was born and brought up in a very staunch conservative hindu family and i was trained that buddha is wonderful because his reincarnation of the god almighty vishnu therefore we must pay respect to him but his teaching never go for his teaching he came to the world as reincarnation of vishnu as god to mislead bad people to mislead them to go to hell so his teaching is not good be aware never go to the teaching of buddha just pay respect to buddha and that is what i had been doing for 31 years of my life i used to go to the pagodas to the temples of buddha with big devotion i pay respect incarnation of god almighty i pay respect but i never cared or rather i was afraid to listen the teaching of the buddha given by any monk i was born in a country where people are followers of buddha so many monk teachers i never went to them i never read any, read any book which is teaching of buddha this is not for us this is not for us with this kind of background a situation arose that i had to take it and decode very hesitatingly i was very successful in my mid 20s successful in business in industry in social life in different ways so all that success went in my head i become a very self centered person very hot headed person very short tempered person and because of that i used to make others miserable and i made myself also miserable every time i react in the wrong way use unwholesome words perform unwholesome actions and later on i repent i should not have said so i should not have done so again similar situation i am the same no difference i was trained in the devotion cult a great devotee of the god almighty used to have my chantings every morning with tears coming out of my eyes 
that gave me so much of peace. But just hardly for an hour, after that I am the same person. And because of all that tension that I had, I developed a special type of severe type of migraine for which there was no treatment in Burma. The doctors tried so many painkillers, it didn't work. So they started giving morphia injection. And after three years or so, they said, you will become morphia addict. We don't have anything, but you keep going around the world for your business. Forget business. Consult best doctors in the West. We know there is no treatment for the special type of migraine that you have, but certainly they will have some painkiller which will help you to come out of this morphia. Scared by what they said to become morphia addict, I went around the world, spent so many, so much money and time with the best doctors in Switzerland, in Germany, in England, in USA, in Japan. After a number of months, I came back worse. Migraine, to come out of migraine is far away. Nobody could relieve me from morphia. Then a friend of mine, a very close friend, whenever I remember him, I am so grateful to him. He was the Attorney General of Independent Burma, first Attorney General. Later on, he became the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. He pressed me, take a 10-day Vipassana course. Your problem is psychosomatic. You live such a tense life, ego-centered life. This technique will purify your mind and automatically the disease from which you are suffering will go away. But the hesitation was there. This is Buddhism. If I go there and I become Buddhist, then certainly I'll go to hell and I am not prepared to go to hell. I better die, die with my migraine. And I had the teaching of Gita with me, which I used to teach to others also. I used to give a lot of uh, Dhamma talks on Gita, which said, better die in your own religion, but never go to any other religion. So that was there, I better die, I won't go. But the misery was so great. My friend said, at least you meet the teacher, what harm, just meet him. I went to meet him. He was also a government officer, first accountant general of independent Burma. When I met him, such a saintly person, such a saintly person, full of love, full of compassion, the whole atmosphere around him, so peaceful. Anyone meets him, starts feeling peace, peace, harmony. I met him and he asked me just one question because I told him, he knew that I am the leader of the Hindu community in Burma and that is why the hesitation is there. My friend has told him already. He asked me, you are a Hindu leader. Tell me, in your Hindu religion, is there any objection to Shila? That is morality. How can there be any objection? Morality. Every religion of the world teaches morality. No objection, sir. I will teach you morality. And how can you practice morality? Unless you are master of your own mind. So I will teach you the master of your mind. We call it Samadhi. Any objection? How can there be objection? If somebody teaches me to be master of this monkey mind, very good. 
Have you learned, sir? Nothing wrong. Not enough. Even you are master of your mind. Still, there are impurities at the depth of the mind. Time and again, one of these impurities might overpower you. So we teach the third step, which we call wisdom, panya. And that is to purify the totality of the mind up to the root level. Any objection? How can there be objection for purification of the mind? I said, no objection. He said, that's all. We don't teach anything else except Sheila, Samadhi and Panya. Come and give a trial. See. If you find it good, accept it. Otherwise, after 10 days, you are your own master. Forget it. I said, worth trying. But the hesitation was there. This is Buddhism. This is Buddhism. Anyhow, I went to take a course. Before starting the work, he gave me a small booklet. The first page of it had Kalama Sutta. And that says, don't believe. Don't believe because many people are believing it. Don't believe because traditionally it is being believed. Don't believe because your scripture says so. Don't believe even your teacher says so. That means even if I say, don't believe. Don't believe, don't believe, don't believe. I was wondering what he's saying, don't believe. And I come from a tradition where I am taught, if you don't believe, you will go to hell. If you believe, you will get heaven. And he says, don't believe. A founder of a religion says, don't believe, don't believe me even. You experience whatever he said. And with experience, if you find that it is good for you and good for everybody, then only believe. And not only believe, then live that life. Live that life. And take advantage of this, of this teaching. This was very fascinating for me. Somebody saying, don't believe, don't believe, don't believe. Practice, practice, experience. And you find it is rational, pragmatic, logical. If you find it is scientific, if you find there is no blind faith involved, if you find it is result-oriented here and now, then only believe. That was wonderful. I said, all right. My teacher also said, don't believe what I say. Every day I give you instruction, you just practice. Just practice. And at the end of ten days, you just review what you have learned. If you find good, you accept it, otherwise not. Wonderful, I started working. Every day, every day as I worked, I found it so fascinating. Everything that was taught was so logical, so pragmatic. No blind faith involved. Nobody to say that if you believe, then only you will go to heaven. Nothing doing like that. You practice, you experience. You experience and here is a way to experience it. As I finished 10 days, I found I had been preaching Gita, Bhagavad Gita. I used to give so many Dhamma talks and there I used to explain one who is established in wisdom is a liberated person. He is free from all craving, free from all aversion. All this was there in Gita. But mere talking, 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 there was no trace of freedom from craving, 
no trace of freedom from aversion. I was full of craving, full of aversion, full of fear, full of ego. Why I talk like this? I used to feel very bad about it, but every time people will ask me, Goenkaji, come and give a talk, come and give a talk. Today this festival, that festival. I was very much worried how to come out of these impurities. And here it is practical Gita, applied Gita. This is what is taught. How to come out of the impurities, not just on the surface level of the mind, at the root level of the mind, where the impurity arises, arises, multiplies, multiplies, and it overpowers you. When you are overpowered, you perform such unwholesome action, vocal, physical, which harm you and harm others. And then you keep on repenting. What use of this repenting? You have to change the habit pattern of the mind at the root level. It became clearer and clearer. But still, a human being is a rational being. The doubt was there. My teacher has taught wonderful. The practice is wonderful. There is no fault in it. But then why such learned people in country of my forefathers, India, such learned sages like Shankaracharya, why they swept off this, this technique, this teaching of Buddha? Something there must be wrong. We find nothing wrong here. Then certainly, in the theoretical aspect of the teaching, there must be something wrong. In the words of Buddha, there must be something wrong. Otherwise, this would not have been banished from our country. So, for first time, I started reading the words of Buddha. A very good friend of mine from India used to come to Burma, used to stay at my house, a very learned monk, Bhikkhu Ananda. He knew that I got not only indifference, I got aversion towards Buddha's teaching, so he won't talk anything about Buddha's teaching. But he very much wanted me to know what is Buddha teaching. I won't listen to him. At one time he left a book called Dhammapada, which he had translated in Hindi. He left it. You go through it. You go through it. I just smiled. And he went away. That book was lying on my table for three years. I didn't open the first page even. This is Buddhism. I won't read it. This is Buddhism. I may become Buddhist. After taking ten days, that was the first book. There must be something wrong in the words of Buddha. Started reading. Gatha after Gatha. It was just nectar. I used to get thrilled by every word. I was reading it with a critical mind to find some fault. No fault. No fault. Then there must be some fault in other books. I started reading other books. Such a vast, big literature of Buddha's words. Initially, I went through the Hindi translation. And then later on, studied Pali to some extent, started reading it. So wonderful. Then why? Why our forefathers gave it such a bad name? What fault they found? There is no fault. That made me more and more convinced. And then the result was there. Within ten days, Morphe was gone forever. Migraine was gone forever. And more than that, this mad mind, full of defilements, anger, hatred, ill will, passion, fear, ego, 
Not that in 10 days everything went away. Started getting diminished, diminished, diminished. I started enjoying peace, harmony. The whole life pattern changed. This is wonderful. Another question came in my mind. Perhaps my teacher especially favored me to teach this so that I am out of my misery. Misery of the disease, misery of these mental defilements. But it is, is it applicable to everyone? So I sent a few of my family members. I asked some of my friends in the Hindu community, you also go and try. It has given me very good result. You also try, you also try. Hundreds of people of the Indian community, they went to the course. You know, the same result. With everyone the same result. Then I understood all the conditioning that was made during last 1500 years was totally false. It has no base of reality. 14 years I worked with my teacher. At the same time working for my, my responsibility as a householder, looking after the family, looking after business, my social obligations. After 14 years I came to India. Again with the hesitation, who will accept it? Who will accept it? I'm a householder. Who will come to? Listen to me even. Everybody has the same type of mind, Buddhism, Buddhism. And they won't listen even. Practicing is far away. And then this is not something where I gave you a mantra, you go and practice at your home. Here it is a residential course. You have to come and stay with me for 10 days. Who will come and stay with me for 10 days? I'm an ordinary householder. They don't expect any miracle from me. Some miraculous blessing from me, nothing like that. How will they come? Why they will come? And even if they come, who will arrange? Then the course means residential course. So much money is involved, management is involved, a suitable place is involved. Who will do that? But fortunately, within 10 days, the first course was arranged. 14 people participated. And then this Ganges of Dhamma kept on flowing in the country of origin. Those who got benefit from it, they started saying to their friends, their relatives, it is so good. We had a wrong impression about Buddha's teaching, it is so good, it is so good. Went on spreading. And I found that it is acceptable to everyone. Not merely those who call themselves Buddhist. It's accepted by everyone, whether they are Hindus, they are Jains, they are Sikhs, they are Muslims, they are Christians, they are Jewish, makes no difference. People started coming from different traditions, different religions, different background. They practice and get the same result. Today, after so many years, over 30 years, there is no religion in the world whose followers are not attending 10-day Vipassana courses. No religion in the world. And in many cases, the leaders of the religion, they come and take the course and find it is our religion. It is our religion. More than 2,000 Christian priests and nuns have participated and they keep coming, keep coming, so many more. And like that, the leaders of uh, Hindu religion, Buddhist religion, Muslim religion, Sikh religion, they keep coming. And they find it is ours. It is ours. I remember the first missionary who came, three of them in the course. One of them very elderly, mother superior. At the end of the course he says, Goinka, you are teaching Christianity in the name of Buddha. 
I am teaching Dhamma. Dhamma means way of life, a good way of life. And this is taught by every religion. There is no religion in the world which does not teach live a moral life with a disciplined mind, pure mind, full of love, compassion, goodwill, tolerance. This was taught by Jesus Christ also. This was taught by every religious leader, but people don't practice it. They start giving importance to other things like rites, rituals, ceremonies, beliefs, dogmas, cults, etc. And they forget the essence. The quintessence of every religion is same. The outer shell differs from one to the other. And more attention is given to the outer shell, forgetting the inner essence. That is why all these troubles, it became clearer and clearer. And now people start coming from different countries. A challenge was given to me by a very saintly person in India, a close disciple of Mahatma Gandhi. I gave a course at the ashram of Mahatma Gandhi. Very elderly people who were comrades of Mahatma Gandhi, they participated. So excited. This is so good. This is what Mahatma Gandhi wanted. Character building. All these people who are working for me must have good character. But I find not good character. And my sermons won't help. And here is a technique now. These people are very much, very much excited. So they took me to the close friend, close disciple of Mahatma Gandhi, Vinuva Bhave. When I met him, he won't believe. How can there be a technique to purify the mind? It is all by grace. Can't be a technique. I said, sir, this works. It has worked for me. It has worked for so many others. Then he gave a challenge. If it works with very hard criminals in the jail, in the prison, then I will accept its efficacy. Otherwise not. I said, all right, you arrange a course. I'm a new person in this country. You arrange. I'll give you a course. He could not arrange. After three or four years, one secretary of a state government participated and he found it so good, so he arranged a course in the jail, first course in the prison. Wonderful results. And then courses after courses in so many prisons, same result. And in the prison there are people who are Hindus, who are Muslims, who are Sikhs, even so many terrorists. What a big change started coming in there. And the word started spreading everywhere in the world. Now courses are given everywhere. In few words, let us understand what is the technique. Whenever you decide to take a course of 10 days, very essential 10 days, after taking the course you will understand why 10 days, why not less than that. You have decided to take a course for 10 days, you join a camp. First thing you have to take, precepts five precepts that at least during these ten days you won't perform any unwholesome vocal or physical action which will harm others. Nothing wrong. Unless you have these, at least for these ten days, you can't make a deep operation of your mind. You can't go to the depth of the mind. There is so much storm in your mind. Every time you break Sheila, every time you perform any unwholesome action, vocal or physical, your mind becomes very agitated. How can you go to the depth of the mind? So at least start by taking this vow for 10 days while you're here. And then to control the mind. The whole purpose of controlling the mind is to make it very sharp, very sensitive, so that you can go to the depth of the mind, a surgical operation of the mind, to go to the root level of the mind. So you are asked to sit, sit comfortably, 
in any posture that suits you not necessarily a lotus posture or half lotus posture if someone can sit in such posture doesn't matter otherwise any posture that keeps you comfortable for longer periods at a stretch is a good posture posture for you keep your back and your neck straight this will help to keep your mind very attentive keep your eyes gently closed mouth gently closed there is no vocal action now no physical action now see what reality the whole path is to observe the reality 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 nothing but reality reality pertaining to your own mind and matter phenomenon no imagination mind and matter phenomenon that you experience yourself not what the book says not what the teacher says what you experience so what what reality is manifesting now the first reality that you experience is the breath breath coming in breath going out start with that just observe observe the breath coming in going out natural breath normal breath don't make it a breathing exercise don't try to control the breath that is a different technique altogether we call it pranayama it has its own advantages but this has nothing to do with vipassana technique here the technique is to develop the faculty to observe the reality as it is not as you would like it to be as it is so the breath as it is if it is deep it is deep if it is shallow it is shallow passing to left nostril left nostril right nostril right just keep on observing do nothing keep on observing no verbalization otherwise the mind will start rolling in the words that you use no visualization no imagination otherwise mind will start rolling you will forget your breath no imagination no speculation no imposition of this belief or that belief just pure breath bare breath as it comes in as it goes out breath is related to both mind and matter this becomes clearer and clearer as you proceed further the breath is a physical function the lungs are working you breathe in you breathe out very clear but very soon you realize the breath is strongly related to the mind also as you are meditating meditating mind wanders past future some memory some aspiration of future fear of the future and suddenly you react either you react with fear or ego or anger and you find as soon as you react generate any defilement the breath loses its normality it is no more normal it becomes slightly hard slightly fast and when that defilement has gone away again the mind is normal the breath is normal so breath is strongly related to mind also and very strongly related to mental impurities it becomes clearer and clearer and the enlightened person gave this object to work because one has to find the interaction of mind and matter how impurities arise so the truth about mind and matter interaction of mind and matter this is the aim this is the process working awareness of the natural breath normal breath as it is as it is and again he wanted the mind should be one pointed concentrated one pointed very important so he gave a place below the nostrils above the upper lip nasika ge uttarottha madhyapadese at this point make your mind concentrated one pointed concentration with the object of reality nothing but reality the breath and try to be aware of this continuously continuously smaller the area of awareness purer the object 
that means without anything mixed up breath means breath and longer the period of awareness the mind naturally becomes sharper and sharper subtler and subtler more and more sensitive in 3 days it becomes so sensitive it starts feeling further realities deeper realities around this area because one is working on a small area <coughs> what reality <coughs> the breath which was so gross in the beginning became very subtle but still there are subtler realities and those subtler realities according to the enlightened one are the sensations on your body every moment every particle of the body there is some sensation or the other normally we do not know what's happening when there is a very gross solidified intensified sensation like pain pressure heaviness then of course your conscious mind knows but there are so many sensations within the framework of the body as you go deeper 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 the entire physical structure is mere oscillation very subtle oscillation how to feel that and unless you feel that you are not going to the depth of the mind so a mind your breath must be very subtle to make the mind very subtle and the mind becomes so sharp so first you start feeling sensations on this part of the of the body some sensation any sensation maybe heat maybe perspiration throbbing pulsing vibrating tingling different kinds of sensations you can't choose the nature does its own job you just observe just observe from the fourth day onwards from the top of the head to the tips of the toes entire body you observe entire body and you find sensation 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 initially one comes across very solidified gross sensations but as you proceed keeping your attention equanimous don't react how an unpleasant sensation may be keep on understanding this is not eternal bound to pass away sooner or later is bound to pass away because you are experiencing it passes away it arises stays for some time passes away so the mind becomes further sharper 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 <clears throat> all these sensations become divided dissected disintegrated dissolved dissolved a time comes within a few days there is no more gross sensations all subtle sensation mere vibrations mere vibrations mere vibration then the words of buddha become so clear for me buddha was not a founder of any religion this was a wrong concept we started later on he had nothing to do with any religion he was a super scientist of the field of spirituality making discoveries as to why impurity arises and why you become miserable and how to come out of that misery that was his aim and for that he was working and he found out this technique and he taught this technique observing 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 one has to go to that depth depth of the mind and with that as he experienced himself certain discoveries that is made 26 centuries back astonishing today what we call the entire material world our own body and entire material world is made of atoms very tiny atoms which cannot be seen with naked eyes 26 centuries back he experiences that and it is the entire physical structure the entire material world he he doesn't use the word atom he coined the word in the language of those days he says kalapa kalapa means the tiniest particle of the material world tiniest particle and then he says this also is not solid the tiniest particle is mere wavelet 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 so entire universe is mere wavelets 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 sabbo loko pakampito pakampito 
what a great discovery without the aid of any modern scientific apparatus or instrument with his own insight he's experiencing that and he gave a technique by which anybody and everybody can experience this is not something a myst mystical thing one can experience by this technique entire body wavelets 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 the mind also wavelets 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 mental contents also wavelets 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 initially very gross mental contents will arise like anger passion fear very solidified you keep on observing 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 divided dissected disintegrated dissolved a very important station in the practice of vipassana when everything gets dissolved he called it bhanga dissolved the mind dissolved the matter dissolved no more solidity at all mere vibration mere vibration mere vibration then the whole <coughs> interaction of mind and matter becomes so clear the six sense doors the eyes the ears the nose the tongue the body the mind and their respective objects all are vibrations vibration any object comes in contact with a sense door vibration coming in contact with vibration another vibration vibration starts which is neutral and then another part of the mind starts working giving valuation oh this is good these are words but words of abuse these are words words of praise ah very good very bad and then you find the flow of vibration changes suddenly changes when you say very bad these are words of abuse the whole flow of vibration is very unpleasant very unpleasant one says oh wonderful these words are words of praise very good and you find the flow of vibration becomes very pleasant very pleasant that can be experienced only when you reach that stage that depth when everything gets resolved otherwise you are working just on the surface of the mind you won't reach that stage how can you understand the teaching of buddha he was a scientist and he wanted people to experience that what happens how something comes in contact with the sense door and how valuation is given and how the sensations change and then you start reacting at the apparent level it looks that i am reacting to the outside object a shape a form a color a light a sound a smell a taste a touch or a thought i'm reacting to them teachers in india on those days 26 centuries back we have got now all the scriptures all the scriptures of ancient india put in cd rom along with buddha's teaching and we find this teaching was this teaching was already there this teaching was already there don't react to these outside objects dangerous don't generate craving or aversion towards the outside object that teaching was there and i was looking what special buddha's teaching was and i found he says you are not reacting to outside object this is only apparent truth the real truth is when outside objects comes in contact with the sense door there is a sensation in the body and when the valuation is given the good or bad sensation becomes pleasant unpleasant then only you react so here you are reacting to the sensations on the body a wonderful discovery made by this scientist unless you reach the stage where you can feel all kinds of sensations and unless you know that these sensations are impermanent and you maintain equanimity with them you are old habit of craving aversion craving aversion will always be there at the surface of the mind you purify it. oh no more craving no more aversion not good for me not good for me all right but deep inside 24 hours day and night asleep or awake every moment there is some sensation or the other in the body 
And he says every moment the depth of the mind is reacting to it. Craving, aversion, craving, aversion. That has become such a strong habit pattern. You have to come out of that. Break that habit pattern that you can't do unless you feel different sensations in your body. Sensations play such an important part in Buddha's teaching. If that is lost, everything is lost. Because all other teachings were there before Buddha. Then what? What speciality of Buddha? This is speciality of Buddha. An analytical study of mind and matter to the depth how you react, how you generate impurity and how you keep on multiplying, multiplying, it becomes so strong, it overpowers you. So stop it at the point where it arises. It arises at the point of sensations. So train your mind to feel the sensations and train your mind not to react. Not to react because you understand now with your experience every sensation, pleasant or unpleasant, gross or subtle, Every sensation has the same characteristic, arising, passing, arising, passing. A very gross sensation arises, seems to stay for some time, but ultimately passes away. And when you come to subtle sensation, same characteristic, arising, passing, arising, but this wavelength, arising, passing, arising, passing, with great, great velocity, but the same characteristic. Then one starts understanding, not by sermons, not by reading scriptures, by experience, Something which is so ephemeral. This mind-matter phenomenon is so ephemeral. Constantly changing. What is the sense to react with craving or with aversion towards something which is constantly changing? It becomes clearer and clearer and the habit pattern starts changing. You are coming out of your impurities from the deepest level and you are changing your habit pattern. Mind becomes purer and purer. When the mind is full of impurity, you live a miserable life and you make others miserable. Whenever I generate, I used to generate anger, hatred out of my ego. Later on I found, whenever I generate negativity, I am the first victim of my negativity. The moment I generate a negativity, anger or hatred, there's a burning sensation in the body. Because I started feeling sensations. Burning sensation. Palpitation increases. Tension gets built up. I'm a miserable person. What I'm doing? I'm harming myself then Buddha's words become so clear. He says you can't harm anybody. You can't harm anybody by any unwholesome action, vocal or physical, without first harming yourself. You first harm yourself and then only you harm others. Whether you kill, whether you steal, whether you have sexual misconduct, whether you speak lies, whether you speak harsh words, any action, unwholesome action, you have to generate some defilement or the other in the mind. Without that, you can't have unwholesome vocal action, unwholesome physical action. And the moment you generate a defilement in the mind, you are the first victim. You become so miserable. But we remain so ignorant of what is happening deep inside. This is what you call avidya, ignorance. One does not know what is happening deep inside. How we are harming ourselves. Nobody wants to harm oneself. Everyone wants to live a very peaceful life, harmonious life, and yet, out of ignorance, one keeps on generating one defilement or the other, makes oneself miserable, makes others miserable. When I generate anger, I am, a, I am the first victim of anger, and then the whole atmosphere around me becomes so tense. Anyone who comes in contact with me at that time becomes so miserable. The atmosphere is full of, charged with, charged with anger, charged with negativity, charged with tension. And when I purify my mind, by nature, a pure mind is full of love, compassion, goodwill. Anybody who comes, 
starts feeling something very good because I have started feeling something very good. I feel so much of peace, so much of harmony, generating love, compassion, goodwill. Whole atmosphere gets charged with the vibration of positive emotion, love, compassion, goodwill. Anybody comes in contact, feels so peaceful, so peaceful. This is a great discovery of this enlightened person. The sermons were there even before Buddha. Sermons were there even after Buddha. But how to apply that in life? Unless when you experience that you are harming yourself, you are harming others, this vipassana helps you to realize whenever you generate defilement, you are harming yourself and you are harming others. You can't perform any unwholesome action without harming yourself. That becomes clearer and clearer. It's not a sermon. This is something to be realized. And by this technique, it becomes so clear, so clear, people start changing very hard criminals. And not only these criminals, I come from a business world, I know the business people. Now you hear so much about these corporate CEOs. I passed through all that madness. How they harm others, out of greedness, over greed. They don't see that they are harming people and they don't see that they are harming themselves also. Generating this over greed, they become so miserable. They lose the balance of their mind, they lose the peace of their mind, they lose the harmony of their mind. What they are doing? With this practice, no one can perform any action which will harm others, which will harm others. As a businessman, you have to earn money. You are a family person. You have to support yourself and those who depend on you. Nothing wrong. Honestly, you earn money, but without harming others, without harming others. And even whatever you earn, you have to use it for your maintenance, for the maintenance of your family, those who depend on you, but also for the others. The profit that you get comes from the society, from the pockets of the consumers. What you are doing for the consumer? That volition of compassion, compassion starts coming. A big change comes in. Everyone, people from every section of the society practicing Vipassana starts. A changed person, a changed person altogether. There is so much of terror going on in the world now. So much of cruelty going on in the world now. This technique, to me, this is the only solution for the world, for the mankind. One thing, because it does not differentiate between man of this religion or that religion. I find in the courses of Vipassana, especially in big courses like, like in Igatpuri, people from every community, every religion sit together, meditate together, eat together, live together. And at the end of the course, have so much of love for each other. So much of compassion for each other. A billionaire is there. At the same time, a pauper is there. A very highly educated professor of the university is there. A illiterate farmer is there. In India, there are people of very high caste. We are very high caste and very low caste who are untouchables. They are there together. People from different sections of the society, different strata of the society, they live together. They love each other, compassion each other. The society starts changing. That is the only solution. No other solution will work. Unless there is peace in the mind of the individual, there can't be peace in the society. After all, human society, human world is made of individuals. And Buddha gave a technique by which every individual can start experiencing peace and harmony within and start generating peace and harmony for the others so that others can also live in peace and harmony. I am happy that you all have given one hour of your life to understand at least at the intellectual level what is the real teaching of Buddha. It is not to convert people 
from one organized religion to another organized religion, nothing doing. Of course, conversion is involved. But conversion from misery to happiness, conversion from anger to compassion, conversion from ignorance to enlightenment, which is needed by everyone, everyone. A Christian remains a Christian for the whole life, a Jewish remains Jewish for the whole life, a Hindu remains Hindu, a Buddhist remains Buddhist, a Muslim remains Muslim. What one gains by changing these names? Human being must change. One must become a good human being. And the teaching makes everybody a good human being. Unless one is not a good human being, how can this person be a good Buddhist or good Hindu or good Muslim or good Christian? A good human being, this is what Vipassana teaches. You have spared one hour of your time. I would like spare ten days of your life to learn this wonderful technique for your good, for your benefit. And who knows through you for the good and benefit of so many others. Spare ten days of life and enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness. May all of you enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness, real happiness. Are your assistant teachers really competent? Are we safe when we join their courses? There are more than 700 assistant teachers now working around the world. And thousands upon thousands of people are taking advantage in every course throughout the world. And they are getting benefit. So don't have any doubt. They are given proper training as a teacher. First they have to establish themselves in the technique properly. They have to understand the theoretical aspect of the technique also properly. And then they have to generate love and compassion. They must have a lot of love and compassion for others. And then they must be very selfless service they have to give. And then only a training of teacher is given to them. Be assured. You, you are in good, good uh, hands. They will take care of you. If we distract ourselves with meditation, aren't we taking away from the energy we should be devoting to rectifying the rampant social ills on our planet. It is for this purpose only. A Vipassana meditator does not become selfish that I am working only for my liberation, for my happiness. As you progress on the path and the mind becomes purer and purer, naturally the evolution starts. May more and more people get this wonderful technique, more and more people come out of their defilements. This love and compassion, this is a part of the technique, of the te teaching of this technique. And don't worry that you will run away from your responsibilities. You will perform your responsibilities much better than what you are performing without Vipassana. Compared to most other teachers, your courses put too much emphasis on discipline and morality. A Sheila broken, then shouldn't be such a problem. If one Sheila is broken out of, then there should not be a much problem. It is too fundamentalist attitude. <laughs> Understand these five precepts. That means you have to abstain from taking any unwholesome action, vocal or physical, which will disturb others. They are part of this technique. They are foundation of this technique. Foundation goes weak. You can't build a house over there. So, 
foundation is necessary because at least for those ten days, if you keep on breaking your shila, even one shila you have broken, you will find there is a big storm in your mind, which you don't do not know now. As you practice, you go to the depth and you find what disturbance it creates. Every time you break a shila, you have to generate a defilement. And every time you generate defilement, there is so much of disturbance in the mind. How can you go to the depth of the mind? It becomes difficult. Therefore, for those ten days, you have to observe shila, you have to be in discipline. After ten days, you are your own master. Nobody forces you, nobody comes to examine you whether you are observing shila or not. But you will yourself start understanding that every time I break shila in my life, I am harming myself. I am harming myself before I harm others. And slowly you start coming out of this old habit of breaking shila. How can I help my 96-year-old grandmother who has never practiced vipassana? How can she die smilingly? This will be your greatest service to your grandmother. She has not practiced vipassana. And if you have practiced, persuade her very lovingly. Bring her to, to the course. 96 years, not a, not a very old age. Still she can work. We have got students who have who are over 90 and they have come and they have practiced and they are people to help them. So there will be people to help them, help her, let her come and practice and she will find how to live peacefully and how to die peacefully. Vipassana meditation is an art of dying. How to die peacefully. Even cases of cancer, so much of pain and terminal stage of cancer, so much of pain and yet a cancer patient keeps on observing sensation, observing respiration and passes away. Now we have got one or two cases at the center at Shelburne Falls. I was so happy to see somebody whom the doctors have said your maximum life, maximum life now is not more than a fortnight. Maximum. You may pass away tomorrow, day after tomorrow. Such terminal state. And he laughs and he smiles. He says, make, let, make, make, let me make use of these days. And he gives service there. He gives service. All the applications that come, he goes through that, gives appointment. What a person. He is suffering. This terminal stage of... And he knows he is going to die. And he smiles, he laughs. This is a good example. How Vipassana helps us to learn an art of dying. An art of dying is possible when you learn art of living. So art of living will help you to die also artfully. I know the Buddha's teaching doesn't give importance to miracles, but aren't they useful to attract others? <laughs> if you attract others by miracles, then they will look for miracles only. They won't practice. The biggest attraction is when they find how a very miserable person has changed so much. How a person who is so such a a terrible life, uh, inhuman life living, how he has changed with compassion. That is the biggest attraction. That is the biggest miracle. Of course, miracles do come. As you practice, you go deeper. Miracles come, but don't show these miracles to anybody. Otherwise, Dhamma will get polluted. Keep the Dhamma pure. It is not for showing miracle. It is for showing the result of Dhamma, how people get liberated from their misery. That is more important. As a Vaishnava, living in today's modern world, is it more beneficial to practice Vipassana as a householder or go to a monastery to live as a monk? Well, if you 
live the householder's life and become a monk, you will all the time just to practice. We give respect to such person who has left the householder's life and practicing full-time vipassana, nothing, nothing like that. But all householders cannot become monks. So Buddha's teaching is for all, monks as well as householders. So remaining a householder, you can still practice, although your progress will be little slow compared to that of a monk, but still you will get the same result. Since I have started meditating, many people have noticed changes in me. Good. Old friends invite us to, to join them and there are always intoxicants there. Their ignorance is clear. Is it aversion if my wife wants to go and I don't want to go? Ask your wife also to take a course. If she takes a course, you understand this intoxication is so harmful. You can never go to the depth of the mind when your mind is intoxicated. So much confused, so much unsettled, so much blind. You can't go to that depth. And once one takes that course, one understands it is so harmful. So, biggest help you can give to your wife is persuade her lovingly, don't force her. Persuade her to take it and take course. Isn't it arrogant to claim that this tradition of Vipassana is the purest teaching of Buddha? No arrogance, because I came to Buddha's teaching with all the doubts in my mind, all the doubts. First, the practical aspect of it, which gave result, which is so logical, pragmatic, scientific, result-oriented. I was not fully satisfied, I wanted to go through the words of Buddha. And after going through all that, I find every action that we take in Vipassana is exactly according to the words of Buddha. If people had not maintained the purity of this technique and also had not maintained the purity of the words of Buddha, there would have been confusion in the world. Fortunately, Sangha has maintained the purity of the technique, purity of the teaching in words, so that we can tally and see how the words tally with the practice and how the practice tallies, 100% tallies with the words of the Buddha. That is why we say it is the purest way of Buddha's teaching. Your following is getting larger and larger. How would you like to be remembered by future generation? Why I should be remembered? <laughs> People should remember that how after 2500 years, Dhamma again got revived and so many people got benefit. That is more important than remembering me. What you will gain by, gain by remembering me? There are so many people who maintained the purity of this technique for 2,500 years in the neighboring country. We don't know their names even, but they maintain. A few names we have. Others, from teacher to pupil, from teacher to pupil, generation to generation, they maintained it. That is more important. Let Dhamma arise again in its purity and let millions upon millions of people around the world get benefit and let it survive for centuries together for the good of the country, for the good of the whole world. If you charge for your courses, there will be money to build big centers and more people will get benefit from Dhamma. Good idea for business. I've been a businessman, always looking for making money. And this is one way to make money, charge. 
and more you charge more those big ceos will come this is something because they charge so much <laughs> there cannot be a bigger madness than that what charge can you pay the price of dhamma it is priceless it is invaluable any price tag given on the dhamma will spoil the dhamma spoil the purity of dhamma buddha was so clear in his words when we go through the words of buddha and what we teach one gets so thrilled he says dhamme na na vanikachare don't make dhamma as a profession don't make dhamma as a livelihood otherwise it is no more dhamma it is so clear in its word and we say we are we are teaching the the teaching of buddha and we go totally against his words we start charging i will teach you this technique just for weekends going to take 10 days i can't spare 10 days all right come for weekend come for one day or just come and listen to me and start practicing this is not the proper way but give me money if you want me to give more service than more money more service more money that has become a business and it is so harmful this is how the technique was lost in india and other countries because it went in the hands of the priests and their own aim was whole aim was to make money make money make money the volition of serving people selflessly was gone so the technique was gone so now it is a reason is pure form don't allow it to become impure by making a commercial commodity i have taken your courses i have benefited a lot but i wonder why you don't don't talk more about higher experiences and attainments you have taken 10 day course and that is a kindergarten course so whatever you teach for 10 days you understand that good that itself is so good for you but the teaching of buddha the, the dhamma is so deep like a ocean as you go further deeper 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 a time will come when you will take long courses 20 days 30 days 45 days 60 days 90 days and you will go to such depth and then the theory will be explained now you are not experiencing in 10 days whatever you experience that is explained in the evening discourses good enough for you when you are moving further deeper and deeper then you will be given further theories deeper explanation of buddha of the dhamma but only when you experience it so so far as buddha's teaching is concerned theory and practice should go together go together as much theory as you practice and as much you practice that much theory you must understand if you just only keep on understanding theory 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 and you don't practice you'll get confused you can't get benefit out of it good <laughs> why do you have aversion to the word buddhist no aversion but i understand with all my studies and understanding the buddha's teaching when i say that i am not teaching buddhism i am not making anybody a buddhist i am not converting anybody a buddhist and a question comes are you a buddhist i said no i am not a buddhist that creates lot of uneasiness in the mind of uh, people from the country from where i have come and from other countries also what this fellow learned from us and now is teaching something which is not buddhism which is not he doesn't make buddhist very humbly i tell them i have gone through the words of buddha 15000 pages of the words of buddha which were totally lost from the country of origin 
about 30, 35,000 pages of commentaries and sub-commentaries, totally lost. And now we have got it from the neighboring countries and put it in CD-ROM. About 50,000 pages and the word Buddhism is missing. The word Buddhist is missing. There is no such word as Buddhism. No such word as Buddhist. In Pali or in Sanskrit or Hindi it is Bodh. The word Bodh is not there. What he teaches he calls Dhamma. He is teaching Dhamma. That is way of life. Which is law of nature. Universal law of nature. And those who follow are called Dhammitho. Dhammi. Dhammachari. Dhammabihari. Those who follow Dhamma. The word Buddhism is not there. The word Buddhist is not there. And now I understand why he did not use this word. The moment this word was used as Buddhism, then it will get limited to those people who call themselves Buddhists, not for others. Because I got hesitated, this is Buddhism, this is Buddhism. When people know it is Dhamma, Dhamma is for all. Buddhism will be for only Buddhists, like Hinduism for Hindus, Christianity for Christians, Islam for Muslims. So also Buddhism for Buddhists. No, he was not interested in that. He was teaching Dhamma, which is for all, law of nature. If you generate impurity in the mind, you are bound to become miserable. Law of nature is such. And you can't give a name. When you generate anger and you start burning, burning sensation, how can you say this is a Hindu anger or Muslim anger or Christian anger? Anger is anger. And the burning sensation which makes you so miserable, how, what, what name can you give? Hindu, Hindu burning or Muslim burning or Buddhist burning? This is law of nature. And when you are free from impurity and you start experiencing peace and harmony, what name will you give to this peace? Buddhist peace, Hindu peace, Christian peace, Jewish peace. Peace is peace, law of nature. Law of nature is such that as and when you generate a defilement in the mind, the nature will punish you. Or you say God Almighty, God Almighty will punish you then and there. You live in line with the law of nature. Don't pollute your mind, don't generate any negativity in the mind. And you start getting reward from the law of nature. You start getting reward from the, from the law of the, the God Almighty, you say. And you get so much of peace, so much of harmony. This is applicable to everyone. The law is applicable to everyone. So that is why the word Dhamma is the appropriate word. Till 500 years after Buddha, we are making now search, research. 500 years after Buddha, this word was never used. Not only by those who are followers of Buddha, by the opponents also. They never used the word Buddhism. They never called anybody a Buddhist. We find Ashoka 250 years after Buddha and all his uh, rock addicts, we find the word Dhamma, Dhamma, Dhamma. There is no such word as Buddhism because that word was not existing at that time. It came much later. So if I want to give the teaching of Buddha in the pure form, I want to use the word used by Buddha as Dhamma and people you follow are followers of Dhamma. Dhamma is so simple and pure my humble question is, do we need so many rules and guidelines to keep the purity of Dhamma? Dhamma is to live a disciplined life and if you break your discipline, you start breaking your shila, then where is Dhamma? You lost Dhamma. If you want to keep Dhamma only in the mind, talking about it and discussing about it and say it's so great, so great, but I don't practice it, then what's the use of Dhamma to you and to others? Dhamma is to be applied in life and to apply in life all this discipline is very important. How did your wife start practicing Vipassana? Did she want to? Yes. <laughs> Otherwise she won't accompany me. She is my partner, life partner. She, I am not complete without her. I am only half. She is half, better half. 
that makes us complete and that is how we teach. A great misunderstanding was created in the country of origin that Buddha's teaching is only for the monks because they didn't live an ideal householder's life. So he never taught anything for the householders. His teaching is only for the monks and nuns. This is conditioning of my mind up to the age of 31. And I found in the teaching of Buddha, it is for everyone. So many sermons are there for the householders, how your householders should live. So it is an example to the people of India and the world that Buddha's teaching is good for the householders. And that is why I carry this huge testimonial that I am a householder. <laughs> what is the simplest way to show others that they act in ways harmful to themselves and others? Ask them to practice 10 days with Pashina. Then only they will start understanding that they are harming themselves and harming others. Without that, any amount of these lectures, they are good. We talk of Dhamma, give these lectures just to inspire people. Just to make them understand at least at the intellectual level that is something very scientific. No dogma is involved, no cult is involved, no blind faith is involved. Just the interaction of mind and matter. In a very scientific way, you examine your mind and matter, how it is working. And you don't remain ignorant and keep on generating impurity in your mind and become miserable. That's all. But if you start just talking, talking, not without practice, there will be no benefit of it. When you first started walking on the path, could you share any problem you had overcome? Overcome Mara. Yes, Mara is always there. Wherever Dhamma is there, Mara is there. But Dhamma gives so much strength. Mara cannot harm you. If your Dhamma is not strong, then yes, Mara will overpower you. And what is Mara? Mara is impurity of your mind. This impurity will overpower you and you will forget all about Dhamma. If your Dhamma is strong, practical Dhamma, not merely intellectual Dhamma, practical Dhamma, then you will find these defilements cannot overpower you. What were Buddha's views on homosexualism? Can a homosexual take a Vipassana course? Homosexual or multisexual, what makes it worse? <laughs> sexual is sexual. One has to come out of that. They are welcome. All are welcome. This technique helps you, of course, proper arrangement has to be made for people. Like people of two sex, male and female, are kept separate because deep-rooted impurities come. And one of the deep-rooted impurities is the sex, passion, lust. So the object of passion has to be kept a little far. If we can make arrangements, we make arrangements. We have given courses to homosexuals, to lesbians, given courses to the stage where some of them become teachers, assistant teachers. Nothing wrong. We are not against that. But proper, proper arrangement should be there in the center and then only it can be given. Psychiatrists believe that chemical imbalances create mental health problem. Does your technique affect the chemical unbalance of the mind? This was a great discovery of Buddha. Buddha. He discovered that whenever you generate any defilement in the mind, any defilement, law of nature is such, immediately the whole chemistry of the body changes, immediately. And there is a secretion, secretion of a particular type of chemical which starts flowing with your bloodstream. And it is so unpleasant. You generate anger, a particular chemical starts flowing in the, in the stream of your blood. And he called, he used the word asava for it. Aswam is a flow, a flow of a particle chemical, which is so unpleasant. You generate more anger. You generate more anger. More of that chemical, more of that chemical, more anger. 
this vicious circle starts for hours together you keep on suffering you keep on suffering he gave this technique to cut that vicious circle you generated something wrong and a chemical has started flowing a secretion of chemical maybe glandular maybe non glandular it has started and started flowing the difficulty is this word asava has two meaning he gave two meaning of that one meaning is the flow flow of the unpleasant chemical with the stream of the blood another meaning intoxicated although it is so unpleasant one gets so intoxicated a angry person gets so intoxicated to anger keeps on generating anger generating anger somebody intoxicated to passion keeps on generating passion passion or fear fear or ego ego keeps on harming oneself and this technique makes you anasavo you are out of the final stages where there is no no more flow of this kind of unpleasant chemicals with the flow of this of the blood is it true you are working on an autobiography i would very much like to but where is the time is the time there is so much demand all everywhere and i find that is more important people are in need of this technique they want to understand what it is and unless such dhamma talks are given people won't understand what it is i would very much like to write also so many misunderstandings about buddha i want to write and clarify that look this was not buddha's teaching this was not buddha's teaching this was imposed by others who were against buddha's teaching just imaginary things imposed that also i want to write but let time come I, who knows i may be able to write that by trying to develop equanimity won't my creativity be stifled oh no your creativity will get enhanced this technique does not make you inactive Every, anything that goes away is blind reaction not the action you become very active every time whatever action you have to take any situation as a reason for a few seconds with open eyes you observe the sensations that is why he gave so much importance to these body sensations that was the beautiful teaching of buddha to give importance to body sensation you observe body sensation and you find your mind is equanimous not reacting then whatever action you take is a positive action it can't be negative when you react there is always the element of negativity you harm yourself and you harm others that blind reaction will go away there will be positive action in your life and it will be very creative your creativity will get enhanced could you speak about brahma please you mention him only briefly in your discourses brahma somebody who develops in dhamma gets purer and purer there are four qualities of brahma who is brahma brahma is somebody who has got brahma vihara that means the the life of uh, of brahma high life high life that is metta metta for all love for all beings visible and invisible karuna compassion compassion for those who are miserable compassion infinite compassion mudita sympathetic joy you feel somebody happy you feel so happy yourself a sympathetic joy and equanimity in every situation the mind remains equanimity these are the qualities of brahma you can become brahma yourself develop these qualities and vipassana will help you to develop these qualities why do you hold your hand up while sending metta <laughs> if you want i'll keep my hands down if you are happy <laughs> it is just giving vibration to the atmosphere 
and the palm is one place from which the vibration shoots out. Therefore, just to give good vibration to the atmosphere, not a cult, not necessary that everyone must have a head like this. <laughs> have metta. That's more important. How do you know if plants are sentient beings? When you develop in Dhamma and Vipassana, you will understand. When you touch a plant, you will find there is life. There is life in it. And you give metta, the vibration, this plant starts growing much better, brighter. They have life, but not the life like other beings, human beings or animals, but still life is there. Is it dangerous, wrong for a be beginner in Vipassana to lead others in the technique outside of the course? Oh, yes. First get established yourself, be strong enough and get trained. A teacher's training is necessary and that is given only when we find that this person has really grown in Dhamma, this person has got a purer mind, not necessarily 100% purer but much purer mind, this person has got so much love and compassion, this person is serving selflessly without expecting anything in return, then yes, teacher's training is given. So reach that stage, have teacher's training, we want more and more teachers, so come as a teacher, but train yourself for that and you will start teaching. By eating meat, we encourage others to kill. Why is thus not considered breaking Sheila? That is why in the courses, only vegetarian food is given. And as you progress, as you progress, we don't want to put it as a, a rule for your life. But as you progress, you will find if you are a good Vipassana meditator and you have taken on vegetarian food, it will be biting the sensation that you will get. Because that being whose meat you have taken, animal, fish, reptile, the whole life, every moment, every particle of this being was generating craving, aversion, craving, aversion. You already have so much craving and aversion. Now every fiber of this being was craving and aversion. You are giving that input. You are multiplying your craving and aversion. That will become clearer by experience. So when that experience comes, automatically one becomes a vegetarian. Well, did you only have time for two more questions? Two more questions? Yes. And after that I am liberated? Good. <laughs> Why is Reiki practice in opposition to Vipassana? We are not against Reiki or any kind of uh, healing. Reiki is very good. It is helping so many people to come out of their physical misery, physical illness. Let people practice it. We have got nothing against. But when you mix it with Vipassana, then the problem arises. Because Vipassana is to observe your own vibrations, your natural vibrations. When you are angry, what kind of vibration? When you got passion, what kind of vibration? When ego, what kind? That is more important than to you. So always work with the natural vibration that you experience within the framework of your body. And here somebody gives you some artificial vibration from outside. Then these two kinds of vibration, natural and outside vibration, there's a clash. And not always, but there have been cases where people lose the balance of their mind and we don't want to harm anybody. We are here to help people. If one amongst a thousand person is harmed, then it's our responsibility. We have to be very careful. That's why we say, take one course. Reiki people can take one course and decide what is good for them. And we find Reiki is very good, carry on. My blessing is there. But if they find Vipassana is good, then carry on Vipassana. But don't mix the two. It will harm the teacher. It will harm the student. Whose Vipassana is better? 
in Bari they teach Vipassana, but not Goenka Vipassana? I am confused. What are we really talking about? They are all, most of them are my students, and I am pleased that you started teaching. I have nothing against them. A Dhamma teacher, when he gives Dhamma to anybody, he takes them as one's own children. So always love and compassion for them. But of course, at that time when they started teaching here, and when they started opening this center here, I had no time to train people. I had no center of my own in, in India. So there was no training given how a teacher should get trained. And therefore, deeper realities were not taught. So whatever they are teaching, people get benefit out of it. But certainly it is not exactly what the Buddha taught. So those who are getting benefit from it, they may carry on. I'm quite happy. But those who want to try the real teaching of Buddha at the deepest level to take you at the stage where you feel sensations all the time, different kinds of sensations, and train your mind to remain equanimous with the sensation, equanimous with the sensation while you are eating or quacking or sleeping, and every situation. You are not only aware of what you are doing, you are also aware of what sensations you have. And you are equanimous with the sensation. That is the teaching of Buddha. Make use of it without condemning anybody. The Dhamma does not allow us, does not teach us to condemn others. Whatever benefit people are getting from this, I am glad, I am happy that my Dhamma children are doing something good. But still, they have to go much deeper to understand the reality of the Buddha's teaching and then teach in a proper way so that people go to the depth of the mind and purify the mind at the deepest level, at the root level. May all of you enjoy the real teaching of Buddha and enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness, real happiness.